Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Uh, our scripture reading for today is Luke six twenty-seven through 36. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only one of if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them, and if you do only if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Hey, so if you're wondering why people aren't here, um, it's going into the second week of Alcoa's fall break. Um, it's also the start of Maribel's fall break. So um, whenever we were counting this week and hearing from people, it was like, oh my gosh, there are so many people that are going to be gone. Honestly, we're surprised at the crowd we have this morning. This is a surprise to us. So thank you for coming. Um, also, thank you for coming after we read that scripture. Um, Honestly, this week I planned on doing this resource for our groups, and I was talking to Lindsay, but um, I started this Praxis a week and a half ago. I was a week into it. I was telling Lindsay how it was kind of uprooting my life and ruining my life all at the same time. Um, and she was like, oh, you need to do that. And I was like, I've only been doing this for a week. I'm no pro at this at all. And she was like, no, no, I think you need to do this. So today we're going to try to talk about uh, loving our enemies. Um, and pray for Johnny and Lindsay. Johnny's at the beach. I don't know what Johnny is, would be like at the beach. I don't know if you guys know. Um, it'd be weird for me to see Johnny at the beach, I think. Um, and Lindsay, of course, is in her natural habitat, New York right now, eating burgers and pizza and anything, any good food that she can find. But hey, let's pray this morning. And the prayer I have, I think I was getting up, I was praying this morning, and and if you guys know me, I'm not like a liturgical guy, even though we're very liturgical here, but um, there was this old prayer that came to, the, came to me this morning that um, I just want to pray over us. Um, so let's pray before we jump in. Um, Jesus, teach us to seek you and reveal yourself to us as we seek. For unless you instruct us, we cannot seek you. And unless you reveal yourself to us, we cannot find you. Let us seek you in desiring you. Let us desire you in seeking you. Let us find you in loving you. 
and let us love you and find in you. Amen. Hey, um, so today we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about this topic of praying for our enemies specifically. Um, and as you guys know, we're in this series about dust, which is that we want to follow Jesus so close that um, the dust of his feet as he's walking gets on us. And if we're going to follow this rogue rabbi named Jesus, then we have to wrestle with this ideal of loving the people we currently don't like. Our enemies, in this portion of Luke that we read, um, it's his version of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus was reframing human life through the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching us about an upside-down kingdom, kingdom and what life would be like in that kingdom. And I just picked a passage from this famous sermon in which Jesus says that in this new kingdom life, if you are willing to listen, and that just hits me right, because Jesus is like, hey, if you are willing to listen to this, if you're willing to get this, love your enemies. This is one of the most vital aspects, I think, of what it means to be a Christian. A famous philosopher, philosopher Dallas Willard's enemy. Mark of spiritual maturity is spontaneous love for my enemy. And I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a lot of church slogans in my time as a Christian. We have one, joining God and renewal of all things, loving God and walking with our neighbor. I'm biased, but I love that. Um, but I've never been searching for a church and said, joining God and loving our enemies together. Um, and here's the deal. I'm not sure I'd go to that church. Like, who focuses on that? We're going to love our enemies together? Um, no one's banging down the door to go to that church. Honestly, I'm like, that's a little bit weird that that's your slogan. But I wonder what it would be like if that was our slogan, what the world would be like if we did focus on that. And I don't know about you, but you don't have to be aware to realize anger and resentment is a growing attitude in our world. Um, political and racial strife has been the norm for our country, not just since COVID or last few years, but for most of our existence. Um, the news is quick to let us know who we should hate or love. And the world's way of working is that if you disagree with me and oppose me, then you're my enemy. And if you have that mindset, then we can typically justify any behavior we want towards those people that we label that way. And listen to me, Hill. I will use politics as an example. Both sides have a tendency to do it in the name of Jesus, which makes it really confusing. The same Jesus that said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. It's that Jesus. But it's at this precise time and moment in our day that Jesus is calling us to become as he was. Not to do as he was, but to become as he was in loving his enemies. Here we have to wrestle with the implications and understand what Jesus is really saying here because loving your enemies seems like lovely religious thought and rhetoric. Am I right? It's beautiful. Um, whenever I was a kid, my parents, um, whenever I used to call them, they always ended with, I love you. Um, and even when I called my parents and I was like, hey, can I go spend the night at my friend's house? They'd be like, no, you can't. Or like, hey, I really want to go do this or I have money for this. And they'd be like, no, you can't. Love you. And always on the other end, they had the audacity to wait for me to say it back. And if I didn't say it back, I was in trouble. So with gritted teeth, I'd be like, love you too, parents. And then when I get off the phone, I'd be like, man, my parents are the worst. They're mean, right? Um, the I love you, like I love it in theory, 
Like, hey, that's a sweet thing to say. I love you before you get off the phone every day. But sometimes, most of the time, I had no intention of actually loving my parents. Um, I said it, but I had no intention of doing it. And I think that's what we get when Jesus tells us to love our enemies. It's this good religious thought. It's inspiring. But to actually be intentional about becoming the type of people who can do it, like that's a different thing altogether. Interestingly enough, though, enemy in this passage in Luke, if you look at the Greek, it's an adjective. It's not, it's not a noun. So Jesus is saying and coming to the conclusion that he is saying here that you need to love the one you presently hate. The world means to love someone that you presently, the word means to love someone that you presently feel hostile toward. And so to follow Jesus in this type of kingdom life, we are called to develop the kind of imagination of what it is to do good to those we presently resent, that we presently hate and don't like, to do good towards them. So I want to pause and ask a question. The Bishop Todd Hunter, he's an, Ang- he, he's an Anglican. He's brilliant. He used to be over the whole Vineyard USA back in the day. Then he became an Anglican. But like he has this question he asks for really hard topics. And I think this is a really good question to ask. And it's this. Do you think Jesus is smart? Like, is Jesus actually smart? Is Jesus actually self-aware of the complexities of relationships the unimaginable hurt and pain we cause one another every day? Or was he just giving us a lovely religious language, or was he aware of what was going on around him, even in his own culture? Was Jesus conscious of the culture that was going on at his time? Surely people in the culture that heard Jesus responded to Jews first saying, he can't really mean that we should love the Romans, like they're oppressing us. Why would we love them? Or we can't love the Samaritans who the name we have for them and what we call them are dogs. Or in all culture, he can't surely mean that I should love the political right or left. He surely can't mean that I should love my coworker who gossips. He can't mean the person who bullies me. Or even to take it a step farther in my book, he can't love people that choose pancakes over waffles. Like, I know Sam's a pancake man. He's in here. I'm sorry, Sam, but you're wrong. Like, pancakes can hold syrup, like the pockets in the waffle. Perfect vehicle for syrup. To love pancakes more than waffles is sadistic, in my personal opinion. (laughs) Quote me on that. Tell Lindsay, that's what I got from the sermon today. Um, Or let's go one step further in our context, and this really hits me. It's, he surely can't mean I have to love, you know, those other Christians, Um, You know those other Christians that we try to serve people that we're not like, that I try to serve people? Oh, no, 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 that's not me. That's that's those other ones. He can't mean that we should love those people. Surely Jesus means that we should love people who are mostly pretty good, but they only have the occasional fault. They only mess up occasionally. Those are the people we should love. Um, retaliation is also a use issue in our culture. Like I said earlier, if you can make someone out to be an enemy, you can then justify any type of behavior you want towards those people in the name of Jesus. And a famous NT scholar said this. He says, he who retaliates thinks he is manning up and resisting aggression, but in fact he is making an unconditional surrender to evil. And that hits hard. And so seeing Jesus may not just be smart, he may just be a genius. Uh, He just may be a genius. 
because he knows his own culture and our own today. And he invites us to love our enemies so that we are no longer controlled by actions and words and people. Jesus, in saying to love our enemies, offers us, and it may not seem like it, he is offering us freedom. It's a different way of being human that Jesus is offering us. Um, You may have another question, though, and you may be like, yeah, he may be a genius, but does he actually expect us to love those we presently hate? Like, really, I had this one person look at me whenever I was talking talking about this, and we were in a small, and when we were in a small group, he stops and goes, no, Chad, live in reality for a second. Like, live in reality for, for a second and understand what you're saying. And I was like, no, I'm fully aware of what I'm saying. I wish I wasn't. <laughs> I, I wish I wasn't aware of what I'm saying. But Jesus does actually call us to do that. Jesus was always a bit confrontational with the with the religious people of his day. And the one thing he called them out for was this. In Matthew 23, it said, instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and want to think of lifting a finger to help you. Jesus called them out of placing heavy rules and burdens on the necks of their people. So Jesus can't be doing that to us when he tells us to love our enemies. Personally, I don't think Jesus is telling us to love our enemies as lovely religious language um, or as dumping heavy burdens on us. I think Jesus has given us one of the greatest invitations we could ever imagine. And he invites us to love our enemies so that we are no longer controlled by their actions or words. Jesus, in saying to love our our enemies, offers us freedom. He is offering us abundant life. It's a different way to be a human being. It's the way of the kingdom of God that we talk about all the time here. Jesus modeled this for us in one of the greatest pictures we have in the Bible. That Jesus had went through a trial in which they lied about him. He chose to remain silent. They then gave him 39 lashes and then sentenced him to die on a cross, which was a criminal's punishment. And on the cross, while they were gambling for his clothes with dice, Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus, God in the flesh, showed us the heart of God, an unconditional love for his enemies, for me and for you. But I don't believe Jesus said those words with gritted teeth like I sometimes do, um, or with an inward position of begrudgingly, and begrudgingly spoke those words, It was the inner bend of his will, the spontaneous response of his heart that uttered those words. And Jesus invites us into that kind of inward disposition. And so the million-dollar question we have this morning is, how do we become the type of people that can spontaneously, at a moment's notice, respond in love to those we hate or to those we resent? Uh, Dallas Willard also has this to say. He goes, when Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they were doing, that wasn't hard for him. What would have been hard for him would have to been curse his enemies and spew forth vileness and evil upon everyone. God and the world and those crucified with him did, at least for a while. He calls us to him to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. Jesus invites us to become as he was, to do as he did. 
not in order to become, or not to do in order to become, but to become in order to do. That's the invitation. Now, Jesus doesn't expect perfection here. I don't want to put that burden on you. No one's going to be perfect at this. Um, even in my week and a half, our, I've, I remember I went out one day and I was driving, and the way I have most of my rage is driving, and um, I'm trying to make a turn, and this guy cuts out in front of me, and I'm like, Jesus, bless them. May you bless them more than you bless me, Jesus, with gritted teeth in my heart when all I wanted to do was raise my hand and be like, what are you doing? And and I'm hypocritical in that because if I make the mistake, I would probably go, hey, buddy, everyone makes mistakes. You just can't make a mistake while I'm driving, Um, but I'm free to. Um, But Jesus didn't do that. Uh, Now, he doesn't expect perfection, but he does expect us to grow in sacrificial kingdom living and loving those we presently hate. So in order to become, we have to have disciplines to help orient our will to be as he was. And I have one discipline that we're going to practice today and that you're going to take with you this week. It's going to be up on our social media account. So uh, check out Facebook and Instagram for this if you don't take a picture of it whenever we bring it up. But um, just to end, to give you guys of how this has went for me, I'm on a monthly Zoom call with a guy named Seth Bussell in New York. He's discipling um, a group of us around East Tennessee to be able to help um, the people we're discipling become more emotionally mature. And Seth does this on a regular basis. He has two small churches of gangs in New York in which he has do this prayer. Um, He has... um, um, some uh, ethnic groups that he meets with. He's a guy that does micro churches in New York City, and so he's trying out on church people how this stuff works out with. And so um, he, and so basically, we come into our meeting, and he goes, "Hey, we're going to practice this thing. We're going to pray for our enemies." And I'm just like, "Well, that's not exciting, man. I, I was coming, I was expecting something cool. Like, I think this guy is amazing. I'm amazed by everything he says. But this, I'm like, oh." Well, this is a wasted month for me. Um, and so he turns off the Zoom. He goes, hey, I'm going to give you guys a while. Wow, I want you to engage in this. And as I'm doing it, I can't think of anything. And I thought, wow, I finally arrived. I'm an A-plus Christian. I don't hate anyone. I don't have any enemies. Like, guys, I have arrived in life. I finally made it. Um, but while I was thinking that, I was like, I had a sneaking suspicion, I am not self-aware of myself at all. And so um, in that moment, I started engaging Jesus, and he ever so kindly impressed on my heart, Chad, is there anyone you compete with? And he knows me real well. I was like, yeah, everyone. Um, On Strength Finders, competition is number two for me. Um, I can compete over anything. It's bad, guys. And I was like, and my heart sank, and my answer was like, yeah. Then I had to wrestle with the fact that my enemy is anyone I compete with over anything. I mean, once I hear Lindsay preach a good sermon, I want to be like, want to do better than that. I can't do, she's a magician and a unicorn when preaching a sermon. That's why we all show up here. But like, I can make competition out of anything. Chase played basketball with me. He knows. Like, I quit playing basketball because I'm a horrible person. I blocked Kurt Stoat one, one time in my life. He hasn't heard me stop talking about it. I love to compete. And that pits me against people. Then Jesus showed me, that, showed me that my enemy is, in fact, anyone that I support, love, and want to succeed. 
I just don't want them to do better than me. I don't know about you guys. Like, I want people to succeed. I want you to do well. But if you do something I do, I don't want you to do as well as me. Right? And so I saw the inner bend of my heart, like some ugliness there. It's, it's I, I support you, but only to a point. And if you do better than me, I'm going to resent you. And I saw that in my own heart. And it hurts. Does, I don't know if you guys resonate with that, but gosh. But then he took it a step further. He brought up a few of my idols that I recently have uncovered with Seth. He's done some spiritual direction with me. One is comfort. Comfort is an idol to me. Another one is certainty. I love certainty. And so he had me think of people that affect both of my idols. Who affects my comfort? Who affects my certainty? And the worst part about it is that makes anyone, to a degree, my enemy. Anyone. Like, like me and Josh Armstrong were talking throughout the week, and we met the next day. And like, um, and, and like um, he was just like, man, I was like, man, my wife is. I was like, mine too, in some degree. It depends on if she touches my comfort or my certainty. And then the worst thing about it, I'm like, Jesus, you are. Because here's the thing. Jesus is the most sure thing in my life. I am more certain about Jesus than anything. But Jesus is wild. I can't nail him down. He's going to be who he's going to be. And sometime in being that, he touches my comfort and my certainty. And though I may give him religious language in that moment, I was like, Jesus, you also are my enemy in my heart sometimes. Because you you disturb those things. And so Seth comes back on and gives us this definition. And we have the definition. It's going to be up here. It's this, we define enemies as anyone who you feel resentment or hostility toward or wish to avoid interacting with. And in obedience to Jesus, we want to pray for our enemies, especially praying for God to bless them and raise them above ourselves. And so to become the type of people who can spontaneously love our enemies, we have a practice here for us today. For Selah, Dan, if you want to come play some music. Um, The advice Seth gives us as we pray this is pray it until you can smile. And he sewed up to that thing, and there was this guy who was like, ah, my father, my stepdad did this, this, and this, like really horrible things to his family and his mom. And Seth looks at him and goes, pray it until you can smile. Because that's what Jesus asks from us. Um, even, like, even in his own life, he goes to the mission field, and six months in, his wife deconstructs and leaves him. And he goes, I pray for her every day, every single day. And because I know she left the faith, I know she's not praying it for me. So it's a sacrifice every single day that I pray this for her. And so that's what Jesus calls us into. It is tough. It is hard. And so I'm going to read this. And then for Selah today, um, I'm sure Jesus brought some people to your heart. And so what I want you to do is take a picture of this. If you want to use it today, it's going to come out on, like I said, Instagram and Facebook. But let me read this prayer to us. It's God bless Chad. (laughs) Give them success and honor above what you give me. Be in their plans and efforts more than my own. Bless their relationships and help them grow in respect and affection in the eyes of those around them. Give them greater wisdom and recognition than you do me. That's hard. 
Help them to participate more in the restoration of the world than I do. And always raise blank above me. And help them to know that they are loved by you and valued in your kingdom. So I'm just going to give you a few minutes and wrestle with the Holy Spirit. If there's anyone Jesus brings to your heart, start praying for that person. And let me say this. I know you may be like, hey, there's some people, they just don't deserve it. And I know that feeling. Um, And I want to let you know that I know it's hard. I know there's some ugly things out there that people have done and done to you. But Jesus wants to set us free. Because if those things are still honest, they control us. And so this is an invitation to freedom.